I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Allez, allez, les bruits pleins de l'aviron baillonnés. C'est la peña, c'est la peña baillonnée. On est tous là, allez. Remember how to do a podcast. <laughs> no. Do you remember what podcasts do? Not really. Except, of course, we last recorded one of these maybe last week. I'm saying that for the people who are listening in like three years, just to erase any suspicion that we've not recorded one of these in what? like four months. What do you mean? Just because. Why would we? Re- we didn't record what we haven't recorded one since what, October. Yeah, I know. It's three months, hasn't it? Yeah. I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. No, I was just just saying that, you know, nothing's happened. It's completely fine. Uh, nothing's changed. You know, we're just carrying on doing this stupid podcast, you know, because people will listen to this in years to come, you see. I don't think they will. I think you're overestimating yeah, how will. many people actually... Millions of them. No, I, I would be flattered if someone still listened to this in two weeks' time. Yeah. Usually, I think 99% of the listens come the day the podcast comes out. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a few sickos who go, podcast. Still, great episode last week with Dallas Stanford, wasn't it? Sure, sure. (laughs) That was three months ago, and I barely remember what a podcast is. Way more than that. Well, oh God, no, so that was before the World Cup, wasn't it? So that was August. Yeah. Uh, This is now February. Yeah. So it has been quite a while that we haven't done this. Sorry about that. Mm. I looked into the microphone like the listeners make eye contact with me and said that. But genuinely, sorry about that. You know, the World Cup bloody happened. There was so much going on. So much work we had to do before the World Cup. We'd done so much work during the World Cup. Then after the World Cup, it was just like, we need to bloody not watch and then, for like a couple of months. Never mind rugby from 2007. Yeah. And then once we did get back to doing stuff again for the channel, it then fell into this trap of we need to start the podcast again. Yeah. And it, it took a long like time priority. to build everything back up, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. So we intended to do this episode last week. So I watched this game this time last week, yeah. pretty much. Normally I watch the games for the retrospective podcast the day we're recording. There's now been a week in between. So it's a retrospective of a retrospective. The whole thing is becoming very meta. Retrospective AF. I worry what we're doing here is putting people over listening to the rest of it. So uh, maybe we should just get into it yes. before we start going, just tune out, just stop, <laughs> just listen to Blood and Mud instead. Um, they all do. <laughs> so the game today is Ireland's final group game, Argentina's final group game, and in fact, rugby's final group game. In t- from 2007's Rugby World Cup between Ireland and Argentina. We thought the natural point to pause was just before the group stage. Yeah, finishes. we wanted to get this in beforehand, but then we ran out of time. Yeah. It was so tight, that last yeah. run before the World Cup. We it was an sleep. absolute... No, it was a nightmare. But anyway, um, we're here now. I'm very, very glad that actually we had a kind of a game before the quarterfinals to watch. Yeah. Like, to, be, to be fair, 
I thought this was a good game. I this really enjoyed this. Is a well remembered, well regarded game. It is kind of the bonus quarterfinal. Yeah, it's the extra game because we've said that a lot, a lot of games, but this. You know, given it was literally the last game it's, of the group. Yeah, it's a round of 16 game, essentially. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously being introduced now, we know, for the following World Cup, for the 2027 World Cup. They sort of pioneered it here, as in you know, many others, where you've got a decider on the last day of the group stage. The very last game of the pool stage was between Argentina, who were looking to make the quarterfinals for the first time ever, and Ireland, who were looking to avoid going out in the group stage for the first time ever. Yeah, there's a lot riding on this, and it's really interesting watching the kind of the build up beforehand. Mm. That a lot of the punditry in there is just talking about how do Ireland survive. Immediately, the whole narrative surrounding Ireland is so like on the back foot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Although at the same time, all the coverage of the game leading in, when you watch that back, is about Ireland. Yeah. Right? There's very little about what a Argentina going to do Argentina have good as won this pool now if they can get a losing bonus point they're sorted it's all about how are Ireland going to win by four tries which they're going to do yeah yeah and that's it so if Argentina get one point out of this then they're through Ireland need the full five points so mm. they need a win with a try bonus point and given Argentina had beaten France I think it's really interesting to look at this and kind of go Okay, Argentina have looked really good, but are they actually good? You know, mm. did they beat France in that kind of one-off? Or is this a serious team we should talk about as World Cup winners? And they do kind of like briefly float that before kickoff, you know. And the narrative is, Gus Pichot has in interviews just all week been saying, yeah, we're going to win the World Cup. Yeah. Like, there is genuine belief in this camp that we are going to win and nobody can get in our way. And you genuinely sense that. Like, when they get into the national anthems and stuff, especially Pichot, man, like, how incredibly, insanely fired up he is mm. to play this game. And yet, there's such belief in this. I really enjoy watching this Argentine team yeah. play. Well, this is one of the true, real, historic Argentine rugby teams. One of the most iconic, one of the most famous teams. I think when a lot of people think of Argentine rugby, they think of this team. Yeah. And, I mean, to just look at that team, right? To look at the Argentine 15, it is spectacular. It right. really kind of stylizes what you imagine Argentine rugby teams to be, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's a big, fat, scary old pack who you do not want to come toe-to-toe with. They would outscrap you any day of the week. And a backline that just has wheels and footballing skills. It sounds really basic, but it's just it, it, it does characterize what Argentine teams are kind of, like, meant to be for years going forward. Absolutely. Well, the fascinating thing about this game landing here as well, and the last game of the pool being so decisive, right, is earlier that year which is a bizarre thing. Ireland had toured Argentina. <laughs> Such a weird thing to do. The end of May and the start of June, Ireland had toured Argentina. They'd gone out there. They made a point. Eddie O'Sullivan, the coach at the time, made a point. He left Rona Gara, Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell at home as their freestyle players. And when we're going to take the rest of our team out, they're going to build and we're going to have a look at some other players. And, okay. you know, the idea was they wanted to give those players as well because they'd been involved in, you know, big hiding cup clashes and everything as sure. well give them time off and try and build from there. And I think that was an absolutely terrible decision <laughs> because Argentina won both tests. Did they win them by a margin by any chance? 22-20 oh, okay. and 16-0. Fuck. So what he's done, Eddie O'Sullivan, in leaving his best players at home, right, and taking an experimental team out to play two games against their key pool opponent... <laughs> yeah is he's devoid the team of all confidence. Yeah. Right? And I think it shows in that, well, obviously we'll get to man of the matchup, everything go on. 
Ireland's two best players are Paul O'Connell and Brian O'Driscoll in this game. Yes, right? by a distance. The two players, they didn't have their confidence shattered by going to Argentina and getting battered and going to Argentina and losing a game narrowly. Ireland went into both of those games as favourites, lost both of them, and suddenly are going to this pool stage with no idea how it's going to go, worried, knowing they've got to go all out and score four tries, when actually nothing is in their favour. I think the thing of leaving your best players at home and developing people just mm. before a World Cup is a good idea. If you are going and touring Spain sure. or Italy or somebody that you know, you don't need to be your absolute best to beat. Sure. But at this point, they don't consider Argentina the team that are going to win the pool. No. Because that France game was a big upset. This is their main rival in the pool. Yeah. He must have considered, like, what if this all goes tits up? Which it did. Like, 16 yeah. 0 is a horrible result to come back from. But so. Ireland had narrowly lost to France in this year's Six Nations, that late Vincent Clair try that now lives in infamy slash broken dreams of Irish fans. Yeah. I think they've always went into this looking to win it. Yeah. I think they saw France as the big game that they had to win. They obviously didn't. And then that left them having to be Argentina, right? And they had underrated Argentina as everyone in this entire tournament did. Yeah. France put them as the opening game because they thought there'd be a nice, solid win. You know, everyone can start on a good win. They got a good win over a decent team. No one was taking them seriously, right? It's sort of... I mean, the easy comparison is Japan, but I think Japan have made quarterfinals before now, right? Like, you're looking at Georgia, you're yeah. looking at Samoa, in terms of teams who you assume will be a good fight, but good test for these young players. Capable but, of overperformance. Yeah, but you're not expecting anything, yeah. right? And Argentina, instead of coming incredibly prepared, incredibly solid, really good crop of generational players who'd all worked really hard and got to this point. Like, this Argentina team, right? is primarily either young kids or really experienced players like Pete Joe. Yeah. They're either kids who have no need to be, you know, afraid, no backdrop of having lost in World Cups in the past, or like to guess Pete Joe have done it, are pissed off about it, and have learnt now. Yeah, yeah. As you say, we'll look into the actual players in that mm. team. I think as you, you're rightly pointing out, the figurehead of the whole thing is Gus Pichot. Yeah, you know? captain, uh, scrum half. Captain, scrum half. Like, is, we've obviously talked up how good Juan Martin Hernandez has been in this tournament. And mm. obviously, you know, we'll get to it, but he plays very well in this game. But we've probably not talked up enough, like, how much pressure Pichot takes off him. Yeah, like, yeah. he takes on more kicking than most scrum halves do in this era. He takes on a lot himself in terms of, like, if his pack are under pressure, which is rare, but if his pack are under pressure, he'll carry in himself. Like, he never ships anything on to Hernandez that he can't handle. Mm. And that, that, that's just genuine leadership. So yeah. I, ju- I just really like Pichot. He's just such a great player to watch. Yeah. The big call in this team is they bring back in Gonzalo Longo, yes. eight, which is just a great name. So, you know that thing when, again, this is Harrison and Barnes commentating on yeah. it. And we'll get, get into, like, you know, how they cover this game. But in fact, no, yeah, just... Harrison and Barnes in this era, we've talked about it before, mm. but they are both so incredibly good at just hyping up a team, hyping up a player. If there's somebody that you need to know about, they will make sure you do. And so when Miles Harrison is talking about how brilliant, what an incredible, impactful, talismanic player Longo is, and I'm like, who the fuck is Longo? But I believed it. I bought the hype. Yep. Straight away, I was like, Miles, if you're telling me that Longo is the player I need to look out for, then look out hey. for Longo, I will. <laughs> 49th cap. Okay. Won 50 in to- 51 in total, retired after this World Cup. This was his last hurrah. Played in the 99 World Cup for Argentina as a youngster. Third World Cup, good servant. Yeah. Uh, played it- for Claremont for a number of years in the lead up to this. I immediately went and looked up Longo and I was like, oh wait, no, he's been playing for them for absolutely forever. Like, yeah. we're going to probably look back at older World Cups before this and go like, 
Longo was a, like a player, man. And he has a good game in He this. does. He's really good. He's like, really that good. That guy can carry really hard. Again, like really just sets the tone for the likes of Pablo Matera, mm. even like Leonardo Sonatore, players like that who have come on afterwards. Yeah, really, really good ball carrier and great defensively as well. Otherwise, I think it's largely as expected yeah. from Argentina. You know, they have the Contopomis together in the centres. You have Coletto at fullback. You have Juan Martin Hernandez continuing at fly half. Yeah, after Aguja a and on the wings. Mate. That iconic front row, Ronchero, Celso and Ledesma. What a front row. The two Fernandez lobbies in the pack yeah. with Patricio Abacete yeah. at lock. Mate, it's, yeah, so the, the one big change is Longo and also uh, Lucas Oxdelia. It's a strong Argentine team. And one you know they have total confidence in. Yeah. However, before you get into the Irish team, right, I do want to mention the referee. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul Honnis of New Zealand. Yes. Who, in this match, was refereeing his 44th match. Right? Good for him. That sounds like nothing. But you know what that is? It's the same number of games that Derek Bevan refereed. Oh. Who, at the time, was the most capped referee of all time. Wow. This took Paul Honnis who I've completely forgotten. Yeah, me too. To equaling the record as the most capped referee of all time. And now Wayne Barnes has done 100 plus, hasn't Wayne, Barn- Wayne Barnes and Nigel Owens have both done 100. Wow. Wayne Barnes retired on like 112 or something. That's incredible for both yeah. of those referees. Both yeah. like legendary servants to refereeing rugby. Fair play, Paul Honest. Good on you. Yeah. Don't really remember much about you, but I don't have much to say about you in terms of this game, but... That's, hey, you, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad not thing. Bad it's thing. a good thing. It's a good thing. Before we get onto the Irish team... I just want to quickly say, so you type in Ireland versus Argentina 2007 on YouTube mm. and two main results come up. One of them is this game, mm. Rugby 2007, Ireland versus Argentina, uploaded by that guy with the 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 name, it begins with a K, the long like kind of foreign sounding name, which I can't remember. But that guy who has uploaded most of the games and he's a legend because he has helped us be able to do this podcast. And the second video that comes up is... Ronan O'Gara, terrible performance against Argentina <laughs> from 2007 Rugby World Cup. Uploaded by... Ruddy Data. Ruddy Data Ruddy Data. One of the, I think you said seven videos that have the word terrible and Ronan O'Gara in <laughs> yes, the title. Uploaded by Ruddy yeah. Data. What a man. It's just good to be back with him. You know? Yeah. But it was, it was a spoiler I had going into this game. Because I kind of figured like, oh, well, Ireland are going to lose. Like, mm. Argentina are going to knock them out. Argentina are going to really turn up. I kind of had a bit of context around that. And then I saw that title and the thumbnail and everything. I thought, oh, it's one of those games, is it? <laughs> it's one that he'll still be bringing up on Twitter in four years' time. Not just four years' time, 15 years' time. I've completely left a trust track. I can't talk or think. What is time? Um... Good, that's my audition to write for Doctor Who. Um, so the Irish team, right? Fullback, we have Jordan Murphy. Yes. Yeah, the back three, Horgan and Hickey, elsewhere. Big fan of Jordan Murphy, glad to see him back. Otherwise, the back line is largely as expected. Yeah. Uh, Ronan Nagara keeps the 10 shirt. Owen Redden preferred at scrum off, who obviously they've swapped and changed their scrum off quite a bit over this yeah. tournament. Um, well, obviously, Peter Stringer copped a lot of the blame for the Georgia game. Yeah. And Isaac Boss literally is Isaac Boss. <laughs> So Owen Redden starts. Dennis Leamy, David Wallace and Simon Easterby makes up the back row, which is one area they have really had strength and depth and changed a lot. Yeah. Paul Con, Donico Callahan, the iconic second row pairing. And then John Hayes, Joe Flannery, Marcus Horan. Once again, that kind of monster trio. That whole mon- full monster front five that had won the Heineken Cup 
year before this. Those guys are not allowed to play with other people. I think they have to start a front row. Like if you pick one of them, they're all in. If one of them's injured, the other two have to just take six months off. You know. Yeah, Malcolm O'Kelly's always allowed on the bench, though. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, of course he is. Good old Malcolm O'Kelly. Gavin Duffy also makes the bench. Yeah, good which, player. Widely forgotten, good player, player. Yeah, yeah, good old Gavin Duffy. Got a lot of and for him. also, because Paul Wallace is on commentary, they keep mentioning Paddy Wallace is on the bench and he doesn't get on. <laughs> That's him. What I'll say about this, it's a, a bit of a spoiler, but with the whole Rog thing, and mm. him not having his best game, making a couple of howlers. At one stage, Stuart Bonds makes a really good point on commentary and goes, a lot of Irish fans will be watching this and saying, get O'Gower off, right? Get him off. He's having an absolute mare. He's not steering in the right direction. But he kind of said like, but do I see Paddy Wallace coming on and being the guy who turns the game and closes out for Ireland and gets yeah. them to walk a quarterfinal? No, I really don't. I think you're better off gambling, sticking, leaving O'Gara on, somebody who's a tried and tested game manager mm. who is not having a good game. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? That's just a really good point. It's so easy in rugby to just look at one player not particularly controlling a game in the way you hope and going like, oh, get him out, get somebody else in. But you're right. Like Paddy Wallace, as much as he was a good player, like, you can't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't no. have relied on them to win a World Cup for Ireland. We get this you? all the time with coaches, right? When people go, oh, get so-and-so out, get mm. so-and-so out. But there's no one to come in. Yeah. Right? It happened all the time. When people say get PVAC out, right? You could have got PVAC out sooner. No one would have taken that job. Gatlin wouldn't have taken it back until right before the World Cup when things were properly dire and they'd yeah. lost to Georgia. Yeah. I don't think he would have taken that a year earlier. No, I um, agree. And I don't think there were many coaches who would have. No. You know, everyone always brings up, it's one of these things, right? Everyone always brings up Pat Lamb as the guy you should bring in. He is under the biggest, most lucrative contract in the history of the sport. He is currently on a seven-year contract as the highest-paid club coach in the world. Pretty no much, one is buying him out of that contract. It's pretty much regardless of how his results go as well. Yeah, oh yeah, it's pretty yeah. pretty much just guaranteed that job because they love him. He loves them. They're doing fine. They're doing fine. And they are paying an extortionate amount of money to do fine. Yeah. And I think it is kind of working against Bristol. The it fact is, that... But he I is, hope that Pat Lamb never leaves yeah, at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, he's kind of... I don't think it's going well being under that length of contract. I, I think he's got that. incredibly, incredibly kind of complacent yeah. in the job. Or burnt out one or the other. Yeah, you know. I think more than anything, he's just like, he's under no pressure. He knows he can try again next season if nothing works out. Mm. There's not that kind of like, we need to get on this and sort this because this is our last chance. Yeah, this kind is of my feeling. season kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, there's none of that. There's none of that. There was with Connell when he won the league. Yeah. And there was maybe that second season when they topped the Premiership sure. and they went on to win the um, Challenge Cup. But... That's a whole other thing. We're getting miles off in time. What is time? Please let me write for Doctor Who. So, yeah, this was the 10th game between Ireland and Argentina. Okay. The interesting thing about that tour as well, right, is Ireland hadn't lost to Argentina since 2007. They've gone seven years. None of these players have played the loss to Argentina until they went on that stupid tour that (laughs) wrecked their confidence. And suddenly, most of the team have lost to them twice in the last three months. Yeah, that's really not a good sign. What is time? Yeah. Because otherwise they hadn't lost them since 2000 when they'd had, wow. again, toured there. Played the 99 World Cup as well where they got knocked out by <laughs> You know what my favourite omen going into this game is, though? Mm. And I thought I touched on it. The Argentine National Anthem. Yes. Two good anthems. Yeah, two very good anthems. It's a great rendition of Ireland's call, but it gets absolutely blown out of the water by... Was there a single Argentine player who wasn't crying? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. And, like, especially Pichot, whose soul was crawling out of his body as he was screaming along to it. God, I just love how, like, passionate he was about this whole thing and just 
just really, really up for it. Mm, absolutely. And so we get to the start of the game. Yeah. Right? And this starts so scrappy. Yes. It's a really good omen, I think, because generally games like this, where there's so much on the line, tend to go one of two ways. Yeah. Right? They're either incredibly tense or they're incredibly scrappy and people having fights all the time. And look, I have a lot of time for one, but I really enjoy the other. Yes. Yes. There's a couple of things Ronan Nagara does in the first couple of minutes that I look at and go like, oh no, that's really good. Yeah. Even though I've had it spoiled for me that he allegedly has a, a nightmare, I was wondering if it was just one of those rugby was better in 1987 type things where you look at a highlights package and you could selectively pick out bits sure. that make it look like it's really good. And you go like, oh no, did Ronan Nagara just have an extreme mixed bag? He puts in a lovely dink over the top, which they regather, and then he sticks it into the corner and piles the pressure on Argentina straight away. Mm. Like, that is exactly how you want to start this game. Especially with that context of having lost 16-0 to them earlier on like Ogara has come back in he's bossing it he's going to be the person who wins in this game and just really puts pressure on Argentina when it's typically Argentina who've been doing that to other teams and I get that completely and I think that chip is great and the following kick is interesting in as much as it's both very good and sums up why Roland Agar was not the man for this Ireland team on this day because the rest of this Irish team right we see it a couple minutes later when Ireland go for the corner from a penalty that's very, very kickable. Ronan Nagara, you know, one of the best goal kickers in the world at the time. And they turn it down, they go for the corner from inside the 22, three minutes into the game, because they want tries, right? Ronan Nagara's first instinct is to put pressure on rather than to look to expansively play. And so we kind of see this difference, this dichotomy in the Irish team and their mindset from the off. There's an interesting point. If you planted in, like, 2011-era Jonathan Sexton into that team, does that change things? I you think know, it does. Enormously. It probably changes the first 10 minutes, yeah. doesn't it? If you could have had the options from the following World Cup when you had O'Gara still on, you know, very solid ground, even though it's the end of his career, and a young Sexton who was able to run a game, run an attack more fluidly, yeah. I think suddenly that allows the way Ireland want to play. The way Ireland want to play this game feels very differently to how they're set up to play as a sure. team. Sure. There's a couple of things. First up is they go to the corner mm. and you think, this is brilliant. You know, they've got a massive pack. They're yeah. going to really take it to Argentina because they have to because the Argentine pack is bigger, yeah. you know. Uh, it's slightly more physically imposing. But if they can mentally get the edge over them early on, then it's the best thing for them. But Patricio Albacete rises to into the air, steals the ball from Paul O'Connell in the first line out, and then suddenly you're just like, oh no, Ireland the go- So the ball goes through O'Connell's hands. Yeah. Like, Albacete's behind him. And it just like goes between his hands. He like he just gets his timing on catching wrong. Yeah, I like think it's the not an overthrow to get anything it wrong. Else. Yeah, but it feels like it's just like a coordination thing when you just like slightly miss. We've all done it. We've all gone to catch something and just got your time wrong and just yeah, you know, yeah. through your hands. Only he does it five meters out from the line out, and he is then so angry at that that it powers <laughs> him through the rest of the game because this is the most manic aggression Paul O'Connell performance <laughs> I've ever seen. He becomes unreal. Yeah, for the sheer fury he feels at having let his team down there and that Albacete nicked that line out. It's the kind of Paul O'Connell performance where, like, he will belt somebody into a ruck, leave the same ruck and carry the next ball, you know? Yeah. It's one of those. Well, they then chuck it to Hernandez, who just clears it straight up to halfway nonchalantly. Yeah. And Literally all that pressure's gone. Strokes yeah. it to halfway. Those easy three points turn down into nothing. They've now lost 30 metres as a result. Yeah. And immediately, Rog starts to crumble a little bit more. Yeah. You know, as you say, he starts trying things that you look at and you go like, oh, they're good options. 
like there's that chip he tries for Hickey where he need, you know, mm. there's a world in which Hickey scores. There's maybe a 25% chance of Hickey scoring there, but the 75 is Argentina get it and clear it again, which is exactly what happens. And you go, the- it's great that you've tried that, Rog, mm. but once again, it's not worked. And if we're already cycling down the percentages of, of how well Rog can play yeah. and how, how likely these things are well- to come off, it's going to de-escalate very quickly. I have in my notes in the first 10 minutes, Ireland are not going to win this game. Yeah. If they continue as they are. It feels like a team who are about 10 points down in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. The things that Roger tried. They're playing like that from the start. Yeah. And Barnes says they're not going to win this game playing seven aside from their own half. And that's very much how it feels. Yeah. Them constantly lobbing everything about the lot they're doing. And then when Argentina get hold of the ball, right? They remember it's nil-nil in the start of a crucial World Cup match. And they are hanging the ball in the air. They are kicking long. Their kicking tactics are spot on. Yeah. They're just like brilliant stuff. Hernandez is having a real field day. There's one he hits slightly too long. But other than that, like he's near perfect with every kick. Given the player Ronan O'Gara is, mm. if this was a game that they could afford to win 12-6, where he just yeah. hangs in the pocket and just go for drop goals all day long then it might have been different. Yeah. But given, as you say, like they had to play it all out attacking rugby. Yeah. Because that's the way that it was at this point. You know, you couldn't really, at this era of rugby, play conservative rugby and score tries off it. Yeah. You kind of had to roll the dice a little bit. And O'Gara really didn't sue that. And as you say, on the flip side of that, Hernandez is just, as you say, effortlessly stroking it into the, mm. Ar- into the Irish half constantly. And that point where you say about the seven-a-side rugby that mm. Stuart Barnes was referring to, is that point where I just realised like, oh no, Ireland are awful. Yeah, when I think they receive a 22 dropout and get nailed and just pop the ball off the floor constantly and the Argentine defence is just so connected and it's not even aggressive mm. it's just they're coming up together and just going yeah you can offload again yeah you can pass the ball backwards again yeah you can go back another five yards until eventually Ireland are fumbling it in their own half yeah. and it's just so poor yeah it looks like they're playing a team from a lower standard yeah. Argentina yeah. it looks like they're playing a team who are not used to playing A an international standard defence and B against an international standard kicking game yeah. And a bit of it is Ireland being much more naive than they needed to because they know they needed four tries. Yeah. But the other thing is, right, you've got 80 minutes to do that. You don't need to be going and scoring those points in the third minute. Yeah. Wear them down. For. Yeah. You know, if you can mentally crush them and get sort of a 6 0, 9 0 lead, mm. naturally, opportunities are going to open up. Yeah. You'll get a jammy try, you'll get a lucky bounce. Yeah. You know, you've got Brian O'Driscoll in your team. Yeah. Like, those moments will come. The other interesting thing is all the French fans who were cheering for Ireland to win, but without the try bonus point, because that would mean <laughs> France win the game. So you've got loads of French fans cheering for Ireland, but they're clearly like, oh, no, 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 don't be that good. Like they're cheering for Argentina to lose rather yeah, than exactly. Ireland to win. Also, so speaking of French fans, there's a moment that I really enjoyed. So, you know, since we last recorded an episode of this mm. 2007 retrospective, something has changed. We've been to France. We've been experienced. Yeah. France been to all those stadiums. And obviously, this isn't necessarily the place to, to be anecdotal about all of this <laughs> at the moment. But there's a couple of couple of things in France that we went over and enjoyed and things that we didn't we weren't aware of that happened mm. in France and French crowds and so on. So there was a moment when I was watching this game and I said to you, oh, my God, I'm five minutes into this island game and something amazing happens. Do you know what that was? No. Okay. Well, listen to this. In pain at the moment, a great worry for Ireland, but O'Gara has to kick better than that. Corletto plays here often for Stad. He's missed touch, though, but he is a good fullback. O'Driscoll down. So, behind Stuart Barnes's talking about Brian O'Driscoll, yeah, mm. and a little bit of French booing, 
there was a banger going on in the background in the stadium. And this banger is something that we were not aware of before going to France. However, uh, at the first game, France and New Zealand in 2023 that we, we went to, we first heard this and it is called La Peña Bayona. Yeah, um, oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Which is Bayon's chant, but we just call it LALA yeah. because that's just a better name for it. And hearing that come on in 2007, after having experienced the 2023 Rugby World Cup, look, if you don't know it, just Google it and just yeah. listen to what an absolute tune it is it, as a French chant. And just hearing that playing in the background just made me just feel like, yes, this is amazing. They're singing LALA in 2007. I think it is the best rugby song. The yeah. best rugby crowd chant. Yeah. Sorry, stand up and fight. Sorry, him and Arias, but you're going home. So to Argentina's 100. For, for context, so it was Bayon's chant. Yes. Like, it was Bayon's club chant. So it was something that was personal to their club. And just the rest of the nation of France just thought, that is so good that we're just going to sing it at national games instead as well. Uh, because we just enjoy it. There's, you know, we're not going to have any personal rivalry with that club. It doesn't matter that we support somebody else. We just think that's enough of a banger that we're just going to sing it. So basically, yeah, they changed the lyrics slightly to leave out the bits that mention Bayonne directly. Yes. So that they can just crack on there. Yeah, it's brilliant. It was, I think a lot of people may have noticed it. The opening ceremony of the 2023 World Cup, they did a big rendition of that with... John Dujardin, the Oscar-winning actor, joining in and leading the chant, and all the crowd joining in and doing the etc. It's yeah, one of the most exciting building things. It just filled my heart hearing it on an old rugby game. This World Cup was a big part of it taking off because really fans were chanting it during the games in Bayonne during this World Cup, and it started to spread further because oh. it's so good. But that, it does make me a little bit sad that it's unlikely that we'll go to a rugby event that's going to have that as a regular thing yeah. again. Because, you know, every game you go to in the 2023 World Cup, people would start chanting it. And it's like, oh, no, when's the next World Cup in France going to be? Like, that's all I care about is people singing the bangers, you know? It's like, they're not going to do that in Australia. Yeah. And I feel like because it's a rugby World Cup, we, they should be singing that. Can we, we might go 10 minutes without hearing Freedom Desire in Australia. Yeah, it's still unlikely. It's still a rugby <laughs> crowd. But... Can we somehow make this a thing that Ale Ale becomes a thing in Australia? I hope so. We should. The world. They love to say Ale Ale in Australia. Yeah, when we went out to some weird club in Leon after Wales beat Australia, mm. uh, they played it actually in there. The, and the, the, proper the Argentine song, and national anthem. And the Argentine national anthem. It was, it was a very interesting night. But basically what I'm saying is if we... Uh, organize more squidge-based events, mm. then we need to have that as like the first song on the playlist. And the, the other banger. And the other banger. We'll talk about that the, at the time. Okay. There's another banger. There's Basically, there are three really great songs they played in France, a lot of rugby crowds, plus Freedom Desire, which, you know, absolutely Two of them place. were really great. One of them was all right, and then we just heard it enough times that we kind of got Stockholm syndrome into thinking yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting Freedom Desire in that category as well. I'm going to say oh, four. Yeah, yeah. Four, four. That's also Stockholm syndrome. We just happen like, to know that. Yeah. Because the chorus is in English. Yeah. And um, the rest of it's in English as well. Yeah, but... <laughs> You're um, not wrong. Yeah, you know, don't correct me when I'm right. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, I mean, there's a lot of Paul Honest on his record-breaking game calling uncontestables. Yeah. He loves that. Like, very 80s style. Yeah, going full Keith Lawrence. Yeah calling everything as uncontested it's one of these things that, like people complain about rugby nowadays and like oh bloody rock whatever everything's a mess everything's a penalty go and watch how often even this recently back you know you're not going back to the 80s you're not going back to the amateur era this you know decade plus into professionalism everything has been con- called as uncontestable all mm. the time by referees yeah go and check that that's something everyone forgets is how much better the breakdown is how we actually have breakdowns completed yeah a lot of those would be called as penalties nowadays as well as you have for sure, sure. you still like the standards to which the breakdown is refereed is so night and day better nowadays to back in 2007 back to 2011 likely if we look at 2015 it will be the same and so it leads to the game being more open and freer yeah. and there being more space because yeah. the game's refereed play, properly you know. and yet what it's also led to is people complaining about refereeing decision constantly right that we're doing this in the middle of the Six Nations there was a lot of chat the opening weekend about hands on the floor during rucks. And in some ways, I'm glad of that because it's something that's been ignored an awful lot. But also, it just means there's another thing that people are now angry about. Yeah. That they don't have to be angry about. And it's just like, people either referee it or they don't. And that's yeah. fine. Like, just let it be. Yeah. You know? Not everything has to be the letter of the law. It's just annoying. But one thing that, in terms of breakdowns, that I really enjoy whenever I, you know, when I come back and mm. watch this era of rugby again... It's the sheer amount of ruck inspection from props. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. Like, Ronnie Roncero has probably never hit a ruck in this whole World Cup. But the amount that he has stood and put his hand on is just next level. At one point, um, Marcus Horan does a great bit of ruck inspection. Just hang out on the fringes. And you can just hear Owen Redden on the, re- on the ref mic just saying, Marcus, get the fuck in here! <laughs> oh, monster of that era. One of the first kind of big moments of the game, I suppose, is Dennis Hickey makes an absolutely incredible save. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Felipe Contopomi sticks a bomb in the air. It's a really well-weighted kick. It's like into space, really having to make the Irish back three move about. Murphy misses the ball, drops it. And so Contopomi hacks it on, kind of gets around Horgan, who's covering across. Mm. And then... He hacks it on into the in-goal area. And Hickey just out of nowhere, Absolutely out of nowhere. Like, when you look at the shot, right, you can see there's a clear moment where there's five metres between Condipomi and the next closest Irish player. Yeah. And he is solidly into 22. He's 15 metres away. Then Hickey just makes up the ground from nowhere and manages to beat him to it. Like, it's a phenomenal try-saving moment. And the sort of thing that um, I think is probably indicative of his radio stuff. I don't know. Um, that was going nowhere. Um, <laughs> the the fascinating thing about this kick that Contipomi puts up, right, is that, as I said, Argentina kicks so much better than Ireland. And a lot of that has been them looking for space to kick into yeah. rather than just doing the Ronan O'Gara kicking for the corners over and over again, which is really Ireland's only kicking tactic. And you have the kind of crossfield bombs before 
the Springboks made them fashionable coming in from Argentina. You have them hanging an awful lot on the air. You have them hanging off nine. And you have, in this case, right, Contabomi hangs it right in the middle of the pitch and he hangs it brilliantly, right? Ireland have a three-man backfield. He hangs it directly in the middle of those three. So none of them know who's going for it. You have Murphy, you have Hickey, and then you have Ogara. All of them kind of like bouncing into each other. And so Hickey and... Murphy both go for the same ball. Neither of them get it because they're competing against each other. And then Contopomi's just like, oh, cheers. Yeah. And just hacks it on. And look, Contopomi was obviously never really known for his speed. No. But his touch on that ball is fantastic. It is. Like, it's such a difficult thing, you know, a ball that's come down with that much velocity on it to be able to control it. But yeah, as I say, the, the moment of this is very much Dennis Hickey saving that try-scoring opportunity. Yeah. But Argentina just continue to keep the pressure on. You know, Hernandez sliding kicks through... Jordan Murphy has to carry one into touch on his own trial line at one stage. Mm. I think Ireland win a line out, have to slap it back and force a scrum five. Yeah. Like constantly just more In pressure coming on. The lead up to that scrum five, right? Argentina have three passes of possession consecutively. All three of them, they kick on their own terms very decisively. The first one, they put Shannon Hawkins' brother into touch. The second one, they win a turnover penalty. And the third, Ireland take it, right? But then they kick it back immediately and Argentina make a massive net gain off it. Yeah. So they are like, just, like pressing them back and pushing them back and leaving Ireland without any room to play yeah. in a game where they are desperate, desperate to play. Yeah. They are playing the perfect tactics for, you know, for any team if you're set up like Argentina are, but particularly when you're playing as a team like Ireland are trying to play and particularly, particularly when it's a team that doesn't know how to play that way yeah. as Ireland don't. They've clearly done their homework on like how Ireland play when they're desperate to get tries, <laughs> yeah. you know? But like you look at it like, that Namibia game, yeah. they had to really scramble to win and didn't get the bonus point in the end, no. I believe. Same with Georgia. It's just like, they've clearly done the homework on specifically how Ireland are playing in the World Cup rather than how they played in the Six Nations. Yeah. And just gone, right, if they're going to try and play attacking rugby, we can so easily nullify that by just keeping them in there in 22 the whole yeah. time. It's something that I think has happened an awful lot with Irish rugby over the last decades before the 2023 World Cup, where I don't think this was the case, yeah. where they have approached the Rugby World Cup differently to normal games. Yeah, And we've seen them either go into those games against tier two teams and struggle because they're desperate for bonus points. So we've seen Wales do an endless Friday night games as well. And, yeah. you know, uh, less so in World Cups because they tend to approach them seriously. Or they've gone into big knockout games, not quite with the right mindset, not the right frame of mind. And I think that did and didn't happen in 2023. I think more the problem was that they approached it the same as they have the Six Nations rather than looking to build and peak. Um, and so they looked at every game as a big game one-off and ended up, you know, crashing out early perhaps though also i think it's weird to criticize ireland from that world cup because sure. like they came as close to winning that as anyone could you know yeah whatever yeah. that's a whole other thing but yeah i think First. they have approached this game and this world cup completely different to how they approached the six nations around this around which they were the most successful Irish side in a very long time yeah and obviously nothing on what we see nowadays but like they were consistently finishing like second or third in the six nations and considering where Irish rugby was in the 90s that was, time, that was a really good result yeah, yeah. So yeah, they find themselves under further pressure and at one point Argentina gets a scrum five. Mm. At which point, Augustin Pichot on the on the microphone calls um, a call for a move called Derecho, which of course translates into English as writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and boy, do they run righto. They run righto. El righto. Yeah, El, el Derecho. Righto, for anybody who may have forgotten, was a really famous, really high-tech move that New Zealand made up in uh, the 1987 Rugby World Cup, where the move starts with the number eight at the back of the scrum, running to the right, 
and then giving it to the scrum half on the right, who gives it to the winger on the right. And there was also another similar move, oh. unrelated but similar move. See if you can guess what it's called. The, where they ran it to the left. Um, so, where, go on, explain that one the, for us. So, Analyze yeah, that so first, please. The left winger would sit on the left. Mm-hmm. The scrum half would pick and go on the left. Or the right, eight would run on the right. The left would run on the right. The right would run on the left. And the move was called lefto. Yeah. Yeah. I made it sound very uncomplicated. It's very complicated so, when you use the word right in there a few times. Yeah, I can't talk at the minute. I've got a thing wrong with my mouth and I can feel the pain when I'm talking. It's good. God bless the NHS. They have not been any help. Um, so... They ran... the NHS. No, I... Okay, no, I will clarify that, right? The NHS is a wonderful thing. The NHS, very pro. What this Conservative government has done to the NHS in terms of privatising it, in terms of tearing it apart, and in terms of bloody breaking it up into a place in which it is the worst it's ever been, waiting lists are longer than they've ever been, the standard of care, the bloody people actually working there, the nurses, doctors, admin staff, everything, are being taken care of so much worse than they should be. Nothing is working in this NHS, and that is not a reflection of the people working within it. It is the administration level. This is a whole other tangent. It's the most cohesive they've spoken about anything. So maybe we should be doing this podcast on an NHS retrospective rather than back when the NHS worked in 2007, rather than bloody bloody rugby. But, so they run Rito. They run Rito. And Ireland go, we have never seen this Ireland, move before. Ireland, you know, they run Rito with, you know, to just remind everybody in case you've forgotten two minutes ago what mm. that move was it means the number eight picks on the, the right hand side that's a really important bit mm. it's got to be on the right and the scrum off also goes to the right and the, the right winger also stays on yeah, the right yeah. okay so there's uh, that and Ireland just go what the fuck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is this where's this come from since when were you running Rito I thought that was a New Zealand only thing Argentina look at you with your Rito this is the evolution of rugby, right? Everyone's catching up and starting to run the same patterns. Yeah. They're all running righto. It's so, really, really funny what happens off this. So <laughs> they see Picho go down this right-hand side and everyone goes, oh, we see what's happening here. Yeah. We see what's happening here. It's only bloody Gus, righto, Gus, isn't it? Gus Picho's going himself. Uh, yeah. Gus, Gus Picho is going to go for the line himself. He's, he's going to completely ignore this winger out wide, so we shall not mark him. <laughs> This dangerous winger who has 15 metres of space to himself, why don't we give him 20? Everyone goes in on Picho. And they're like, I've got an additional twist to our defensive cover for Raito. What if we tackle like shit? (laughs) Picho offloads to Lucas Borges, who goes and scores himself, like the easiest try you'll get. He's, Borges has this weird collision where he kind of bounces off somebody like, yeah. what's happened there? He's kind of pinballed off him. What's what's happened there? And then you look at the replay and you realise Dennis Hickey has tackled David Wallace yeah. who is tackling Augustin Pichot and the ball has kind of tackled Borges. It's like the, the main obstacle for Borges is himself. <laughs> yes! Because like the Irish defenders all go in on Pichot to such a degree that they start tackling each other. Yeah. And he's like... Well, I, hold on. I've, right, okay. Because his foot's kind of in the way and he's kind of preparing to size up a bounce someone. And he's like, oh God, I don't have to do that. And he kind of bounces off Wallace as he's going in to make the tackle on Picho, who isn't looking at him. He hasn't, he bounces off Wallace. Wallace hasn't noticed that Borges has the ball or is indeed on the pitch. But 
You would think that the way around is Hickey would be marking the winger yeah. and Wallace would be marking the scrum half, which is kind of how it starts. When Hickey starts tackling his own player in David yeah. Wallace, Wallace is just kind of like, what the oh. hell, man? You, 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 need, you need to cover the... Like, I, I could have got there. But the best thing is, right, Hickey goes from trying to tackle David Wallace and realising what he's doing. He turns off, tries to spin to try and cover Borges, and in the process, backs into Stephen Ferris and bowls both of them over. It's so, a complete tragedy. Well, it's not Stephen Ferris, is it? Sorry, it's um, Leamy. Leamy, Dennis Leamy. But he takes up two of his own back row in one go. Like, I've never seen dummy runs as effective as his there. It's genuinely some of the worst defence I've ever seen in my life. And I watched the full 1987 <laughs> Rugby World fucking Cup. fucking righto. <laughs> like, Argentina, I need just to cover this. They run a pop to the right winger on the right hand side when Ireland have more it's not numbers. Like any dummy runners or anything? No, they've popped it to the one player in space. Right, Ireland have two defenders on that side. There's only one Argentine, and then the scrum half comes round. By the end of somehow minus one Argentine. Well. Yeah, somehow. Like there are more defenders and attackers, and yet all the defenders take each other out. <laughs> It's like an unbelievable level to, it's like there's a, there's a clip in the, um, Next Goal Wins, the Taika Waititi version, not the documentary, of like, because, you know, there's a thing of like the ball bouncing off 16 people's heads and off the goalpost and still not going in. And it's very much like that is the vibe. That is the vibe. There is like literally anything Argentina could have done, they would have scored. Like if Picho had just walked in a straight line without picking the ball up, he somehow would have scored it. Like, I don't know how you possibly could have blown this from an Argentine perspective. It it's incredible. the worst defense I've ever seen. <laughs> incredible. What a great and, like, move. The best thing is that you then get the reaction of the Argentine bench and they all stand up and they all look confused for a moment before celebrating. <laughs> like, something's wrong with that, surely. Yeah, like, how's that? Happen? Get What's going on? But no, Pichu's a genius. Calling that. Yeah. It's a genius. I think so. There's never been anyone quite like him. No one else could have called that. There's a bit of faffing around between both teams after that try. The conversion's missed. Ronda Gora gets a penalty, so the score's 3-5. Mm. And frankly, that's closer than Ireland probably deserved to be at this stage. Yeah, but... I mean, I have written down that Argentina complete control. Ireland aren't in this, despite the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. Just like, the the other thing I have, right, just like, this Ireland team have the same vibe as early Ian Foster era New Zealand, where they're doing all the things that we think a good team should do but they are shit. Yes. Like, if you were to go like, oh, what are they missing? All the things that you think a good team should have in terms of they've got a decent kicking game, they, you know, attack a lot, they've got a big pack, they've got a solid line out, they've got, like, a few really exceptional players, no Driscoll and O'Connell, mm. um, they've got an experienced team who knows how to run a game. They've got all of those things, but they just don't work. They just don't yeah. click together. Yeah. No, 100% agreed, and especially when they're being tested so hard. Argentina are trying to force them to play a complete opposite game to the one that they want to play in terms of getting tries and the moment where i looked at this and just thought like yeah ireland have lost this came pretty much immediately after that ogara painting so there's a bit of kick tennis between hernandez and ogara and coletto as well getting involved as well as jordan murphy you know having a little bit of back and forth and the whole time argentina are on top Mm. you know it's just that Hernandez's boot is slightly bigger than Ogara's. He's constantly making him turn to take a kick and then just kick it back not quite as far until eventually Corletto runs it in. Yeah. And gets up to probably about 35-odd metres from the try line. But a big part of this is Ireland tried to run out of their own 22 first, right? Yeah. So Ogara then takes it at the first receiver position rather than the pocket and has to just like boot it as far as he can. 
So he sends it up to halfway, who Corletta takes it under no pressure whatsoever, on the run, like running at full pelt, and he gets up to the 22 himself. Mm. Like, it's so simple. It's just like, Ireland have tried terribly to run it out of their own 22. It's gone badly, so Ogar's immediately gone, enough of this shit. Yeah. kicked it and he's just given Argentina such an edge in the kicking game he's just he's conceded that battle himself and what I love is clearly the mindset of Juan Martin Hernandez here mm. as the playmaker as the decision maker is just like how can I really fuck with these guys yeah like genuinely just yeah. like how can I really just like piss these guys off what can I do that will just completely just make them think lads we're playing so badly and he drops straight so, into the pocket yeah Coletto takes it in there's one more phase of crash up yeah Right, which is like played quickly off quick ball. As that ruck is being sorted, Hernandez drops into the pocket, Peter sends it right back to him, and Hernandez absolutely nails the drop goal. Yeah. Again, it looks effortless. Yeah. The way he just strokes that over, just just walks back into his own half. Yeah. People congratulate him, just like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Like, these guys just do not stand a chance against us if we're going to play like that. Yeah. It's brilliant. Jordan Murphy under the post looks broken. Yeah. This is God, 21 minutes Murphy. in. Yeah. Because... He's, he's given a really torrid time by both Hernandez and Contopomi and Pichot as well. Yeah. Who are all giving him really difficult kicks and he's just not getting a lot of help at all. You know, I think he's a quality player, Jordan Murphy. Just like, he really just didn't have his best day on this occasion just no. because they made him. It felt a bit like watching a team from 2011 play a team from 2007. It did. Massively. It felt like this team was just more, was better conditioned. Yeah. But also just more professional, tactically, tactically so much more astute. Yeah. Was the big thing. Like they've had years to look at how Ireland are playing and work it out. Yeah. And work them out. And immediately straight off this, once again, Hernandez starts just poking Ireland back into their own half. Mm. And Ireland slightly change their kicking tactics and start to go slightly more contestable. And Hernandez is just schooling them in the air, left, yeah. right and centre. He is just rising above Jordan Murphy, rising above Horgan in the air constantly. There's one moment that this game is quite well known for where he leaps into the air gets past one man whilst jumping for the ball, like jumps at a trajectory where he can beat a man, sidesteps another, and then whilst off balance, does this beautiful like flick out the mm. back of his right armpit to Celso on the run. And Celso's not expecting that ball at all, and yet makes a line break from a kick return, which is it's just like imperious. I love it. So Stephen Jones, the wanker, not the coach yeah. for Thorn Fly Half. Stephen Dork, as we call him on this podcast. <laughs> Stephen Award loser, more like. Stephen Jones. He recently did a thing of the best players that have ever played in his time covering rugby, okay. which is a billion, billion years. Yeah. You know, he was bloody. He watched Bill Beaumont as a child, all of that. He had Hernandez in at 10 as the best fly half he's ever seen in his life. He would constantly mention him as the best fly half he's ever seen. You watch this game and you get it. You watch this yeah. game and you're like, oh, this guy is from a different planet. He's ridiculous. He, yeah. is, he is playing a different game to the rest of them. He makes Ireland look naive. One of the guys being hyped up. You know, he'd won Hiding Cup the year beforehand, would win one the year after, would win a Grand Slam a year or two down the line. Here, he looks like a school kid. He looks like a decent level, like amateur player who's been dumped in against a world-class option. He makes him look like nothing. Yeah. Ireland looks so inept. Yeah. They are running everything. And then once they realize it isn't working, Ogara kicks it away out of desperation yeah. rather than out of, tactical God. decision that one where Ogara takes it on like a five meter line out from an overthrow oh, yeah and he just panics and just throws it away forward and just drops it just because he's he's just crumbling so so hard yeah. I almost feel sorry for him yeah and then right right as we think this is looking embarrassing for Ireland yeah 
they run their best move. Argentina have El Raito. Mm. And Ireland have El Give It to Bolt. <laughs> so Ireland's attack has been so shit so really far bad. in this game. Like so, so bad. It reminded me of last year when we were like analysing clips of Santiago Arata playing for Cast. Mm. And like sometimes you'd have games where his pack had been dreadful, they've absolutely produced nothing, and then he's just suddenly his element and just makes a line break and scores yeah. and gets him back in the game. And don't get me wrong, it's a comparison that very much flatters Santiago Arata, but I have written just here, oh my god, what a line. <laughs> yeah. Just, Ireland's attack has been so, so dreadful. And to be fair, O'Gara flings a really nice wide pass to him to get yeah. him running onto the ball. But, but like, they lose this line out in the lead up. Yeah. Right? They lose the line out, then Leamy somehow, like, scrapes it back on the ground as the ball's bouncing around after Abbasetti nicks it. And Ireland look, like, shaken and shit. And then, yeah, the ball gets to Agar, who throws one really lovely pass Beautiful to Bod pass. coming onto it at the angle. And it's an incredible line. And it's just, yeah. Bod has just spotted something and gone, yeah, I'll score here then. And runs the whole way, spins out of a tackle and scores and gives Ireland the lead. Ireland hit the lead. They go to Ireland hit all. the lead just because Brian O'Driscoll on his own is so good. It is purely, but that's the thing. It then becomes like, Bod has another touch shortly after and... Yeah, Brian O'Driscoll is on unbelievable form here. Paul O'Connell is having a brilliant game. isn't really coming up. He makes a few phenomenal tackles and he's getting about everywhere. But it becomes... The equation changes instantly, right? Argentina are a better team on every level, but they don't have Brian O'Driscoll. And all Ireland need to do is get the ball to Brian O'Driscoll in a little bit of space four times. And the thing is, we have seen games before where that team who is Ireland in this scenario mm. has ended up winning yeah. because, you know, they've just had some guy who can just turn the whole game and then yeah. suddenly that whole thing changes. And obviously that's not quite what happens here. But you look at that and just go, oh my God, like with the context of how it's gone so far, Brian Driscoll scoring that, again, it's just individual brilliance. And I remember before when we did our draft, right, mm. and I picked Brian O'Driscoll and you're like, well, he was really good in 2011. Like, I know that, but I don't think he was a World Cup player mm. you know because he didn't win any trophies he didn't get past the quarterfinal I'm like you know what you are right and the thing is watching him back in this, to- this 2007 tournament has made me go no I don't regret that pick at all yeah like he's just incredible because the thing is right Ireland have been playing utter suicide rugby this yeah. entire match but <laughs> shit but if you have Brian O'Driscoll and he's playing against a 2007 defense then yeah it's worth it yeah 100%. yeah yeah it's worth it jump off that building because yes. you know there's a chance you might fly <laughs> They call him God. Wow. Yeah. I reckon he's a better player than that. It's just incredible. But yeah. Ireland, yeah, take the lead. 10-8 at this stage. And once again, I want to just be transported into the brain of Juan Martin Hernandez at this point. Because mm. once again, he just thinks like, these guys are not getting this. At no point does he look shaken. Does he look concerned? He's just the whole way just like, well, there's just not a chance that they're going to win this game. He is so incredibly yeah. confident in the way he's playing. Though, I do want to be rather in the brain of Gus Picho. Mm-hmm. One, because it's a beautiful brain, and I'd, I'd love, to be, love to be in that head. And I want to know what it's like to have that fashion sense. I know, I know. Not how to pick out the perfect trainers to go with any suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the thing about Gus Picho, right? <laughs> Hernandez replies with, like, tactical excellence. Yeah. Gus Picho's response is to become a petty little prick. <laughs> Such a wanker, I love it. So his next three involvements in the game, pretty much, right, are he starts a bit of a fight with Ogara, yeah. to start shoving him. Yeah. Great stuff. He then 
He then has two moments of just play acting. Of like, there's a clear out. And it's a sort of clear out that nowadays a referee would come and look at. Because yeah. like, I think it's Leamy comes over the top. Like, clicks with his head. Like, the head, his head on head for a moment as he's reaching out to get the ball. Completely accidental, whatever. I've got a feeling like a lot of referees would let it go. Just like, contact, but not, sure, you know, sure. rugby instant, whatever. But Picho then goes, ah! And starts holding his head and doing like some sort of like demon head master pose. He's like railing around, like stood up completely. He doesn't dive, he doesn't go to the ground. He's just holding his head going like, oh! Bloody broken my brain! It's fallen out. How am I supposed to beat Bill Beaumont in an election contest yeah. in a few years' time? Now I might now start wearing shorts with ties, yeah. which he does anyway. And then the next next ruck, like he kicks that ball out, uh, box kicks himself. Next ruck, Argentina have he then dives again because like someone touches him, and he's gone like I'm just going to be the pettiest little prick in response to being behind. The other one is. So you mentioned he goes and has that fight with Ren Nogara. Yeah, yeah. What I absolutely love is once he wins that fight, he's straight away like, great, I can do it. I can do it all now. Yeah. I'm going to pick on Donica O'Callaghan. <laughs> and he has a fight with Donica O'Callaghan. He's like, mate, you're never going to win that one. You want to fight with a fly half. Well done getting all big for your boots now. I like that he's like working up levels. It's like punch out on Except the Except he skipped from like, like the yeah. super easy to very hard He skipped from Glass mode. Joe to Mike Tyson. There, there we go. That's a much better analogy. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's the proper like combination of Argentine, South American spirit and passion and all of that with proper scrum off bullshit. That's it. Like you think of Gus Picho, you think of him for being the suave bastard who wants to run all of rugby and has all of these crazy ideas. But at the heart of it, the thing that never leaves him is he's just a scrum half. Yep. So Argentina win another turnover off a another brilliant kick by Hernandez. Yeah. Uh, there's a chance for Aguja. Yeah. He can't quite make it, but it the does get quick. them into position. Yeah, the ball's very, really quick. Um, go a couple more phases. And then David Wallace sticks his big old mitts on the ball and goes, I'm going to slow this down because I know exactly where this is going. At which point Hernandez just goes, all right, fair yeah. if that's how you want to play it, I've got another idea. And he drops back into the pocket again and slots over a second drop goal. How brilliant is that? Yeah. Like, as soon as the ball slows and he senses, our chances of scoring a try have dipped from maybe 60% to 30%. Yeah. So let's just take three points instead. Yeah. Let's take a 100% shot on three points on half the points. Yeah. How brilliant is that as a piece of game management? He's got and two drop goals to just crush Ireland when they've actually defended all right. The other angle on this, right, and it's very last day of the Heineken Cup pool stage, but Argentina know that Ireland need to score four tries, right? So they also know that they need to deny them losing bonus points. Yeah. Every point Argentina score makes it harder for them to do that. So Argentina, if they can score about 21 points, they should be safe. Because Ireland feasibly are not going to score five or six tries. They're going to score four tries if they're going to get that bonus point. Yeah. So in order to go through, right, they need about 21, 22 points. And if he can keep chipping away and accumulating there, and in half an hour, they've dropped two goals and they've scored a try that's got them to 11 points there. If they can keep building that scoreboard, they're going to be safe. Yeah. It's just a really smart way of making sure, forget even if you forget about winning, making sure they're going through. Yeah. A hundred percent. They can just focus on building scoreboard and that's it. And that scans, you know, when Brian O'Driscoll scores that, they clearly don't panic at all. Yeah. Argentina's approach to this game, right, is we offload, we scrum, we kick. We don't do anything else. We do those three much better than you will. Yeah. And they build that out and they take as many points as they can off those three attributes. Yeah. So approaching half time. Yeah. 
Probably about three or four minutes left to go before yep. half time. We do get a brilliant shot in the crowd. Oh, yeah? Jonah Lomu's there. He is there. Yeah. Wearing silly little tiny glasses. Yeah, what a guy. Which is like Dave Batista in Blade Runner. Like, to me, this is peak character design when you've got a massive guy with tiny glasses. <laughs> That's like the best character design you can do. So Jonah Lomu in tiny little glasses still being enormous. That is that is the best rugby can be. Always good to see Jonah. Yep. Off the back of that, Hernandez catch and flick that I mm. mentioned earlier. Again, quick ball for Argentina. Their forwards are really, really quick into position, which is, again, something I think slightly ahead of their time. Yeah. You know that they didn't just pile all eight forwards into the ruck in their own time. You know, they actually went... It wasn't one three three one. It was more kind of four four. You know, yeah. it was like half of you go in that ruck, half of you get into a position and do something else, and then we just work really hard off the ball, which they did. The ball was super super quick. They start to go wide, and eventually the ball gets into the hands of our boy Longo. Oh, good old Longo. Around then as well, there's another moment, another kicking moment. I want to mention, like, yeah, around there where there's a bit of kicking back and forth. Hernandez gets it right. And on his own 22, what he does is he fires it super long and super low. Oh, yes. And yeah. deflects off Rog. Yeah. Deflects off Rog the guy's boot because it comes like straight at his leg. Like, and he's, there's no chance you're catching that unless you're doing like a cricket diving catch. Yeah. So he fires it straight at Rog's leg, right? The moment it hits him, everyone else is onside. Yeah. Because it's sort of a charge down because the ball's still climbing. So, um, Longo regathers it. genius. Yeah. And if it's not, then it's still smart because it's still, I think he's more thinking Rog won't be able to cover this clearly. Yeah, yeah. But it deflects. Longo takes it. He offloads. They break down field. And there's a little chip and like Aguja. I mean, Aguja gets taken out. Then Hernandez eventually gets back. Redden covers it. And, you know, ultimately leads to nothing. But like there's a try scoring opportunity created from a moment of like shithouse genius from Hernandez. It's so funny that Roger's the person that got caught out there. She's kind of like, yeah, proper like Neville Longbottom wise, always <laughs> me situation. That could have happened to literally anybody, and it's just really funny that he just targeted Rog. Just like, yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna make as many bad things happen to you today, even if it's just a fluke. It's like, come on, lads, can't catch a break here. But sorry, you're saying about Longo? Yes, Longo looks extremely braced to carry the ball. Mm. At which point, Ireland just go great. Let's yeah. just cover Longo. Clearly, Longo's main <laughs> thing is he just puts the ball in one arm and trundles it up. We couldn't cover Righto, but we can cover Longo. Exactly. Exactly. Do you think that's maybe if you'll have like a really long scrum, you just call Longo? <laughs> call Longo. It just means like you line up behind and you just keep offloading backdoor back to each other. You go for a 10 man scrum where all 10 forwards are six foot 10. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's the move called Longo. Should, should we pitch that to the Barbarians? I think that's a good idea. I Longo. Think we should do this. And Longo has to play, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He has We've to get him super out of time. He's 49 now, but we can yeah, get back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He can be the super number eight in this Yeah, that's a great idea. And he can score yeah. a try. You can look, give all the glory yeah. to Longo, yeah, as, the, as the saying goes. We can have the bear from the revenant as the regular number eight, yeah. and the super number eight can it's be interchangeable. Longo. It's interchangeable. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Good, good on those, like, those lads. Anyway, and then Longo revolutionises uh, Longo play by going, "Might just offload this, fellas. I might just offload this." And then you suddenly the camera pans out, and you're like, "Oh my god, that's a massive overlap they've yeah. got." But yeah, no, I just I really liked the sheer disorganisation and chaos that was created in the Irish defence by Longo just offloading the ball. What a player! What a player! And then, right, Piccio goes, quick ball, like, they're lightning fast. As you say, all the Irish fours have honeypotted in because they've gone, like, what if they've got a second Longo? What if we've got another Longo here? Uh, Mario Ledesma does, like, a great dummy run where he's clearly never getting the ball because he's in front of Piccio. He's just like, I'm going to... Look at me, Marcus Horan. Look at me. And he does his little, like... 
like gnome run that he had. And Hernandez just spins it right out. You have Corletto takes the ball into contact, like rides the tackle incredibly well and offloads to Felipe Contopomi. Yes. So it's not the best offload in the world. It no. goes slightly behind Contopomi. He has to sort of pirouette to catch it. And at this point, yeah, as I say, Jordan Murphy has been racing from one corner flag <laughs> to the other. And he's just like, lads, come on, like, please give me some help here. And is again, just herring for the corner flag. As Contopomi kind of gathers this and Murphy's overchasing, all of you thinks he's about to dummy that and go himself. Oh, yeah. Like he's three meters from the try line and he could easily beat a man here. But he unselfishly flings it out to Horatio Aguja, who finishes in the corner. It's a very nicely taken try. The sheer work ref, Dennis Leamy, by the way, to corner flag here is incredible. Oh, was it Dennis Leamy? Dennis Leamy's the guy corner flagging on Aguja. No, he corner flags from the ruck to the touchline. Bloody hell. Like, he works so hard when the rest of the pack are like, I thought the Desma was getting it. Yeah, and keeps him in the corner. Yeah. It very easily could have been a different scenario. Like, nearly stopped the try, to be fair. It's a brilliant try. Hernandez, the absolute architect, with word to Longo, what a boy. Yeah. But, like, Hernandez's touches, even just the simple ball to Coletto is brilliant. Yeah. Just him, like, bringing him onto the ball, allowing him to engage the one defender so that, you know, Contopomi and Aguja are left against just the corner flagging defense. Really, really smart. Pure, like, architect stuff. Proper, again, I have written, like, you know, all-court rugby, Argentina in a nutshell. But yeah, it's like, it's great hands, but also they use their power. They use their kicking game big time. Yeah. They use Hernandez. Aguja finishes a hit. Just brilliant. This yeah. is Argentina. Te- it's like the, the try that sums up this Argentine team for me. 100% from this agreed. pool stage. 100% agreed. There's that and the um, Corletto one in uh, uh, France. France, yeah. France game. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. As you say, it's the, it's the big pack and the, the silky backs in tandem. Perfect tandem. And then Contopomi hits both posts with the conversion. Yes, he does. Yeah. So it's 18-10 to Argentina at this point. Yeah. And suddenly Ireland's 10 minutes ago daring to dream just feels like an absolute age ago, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Ireland kind of getting what they deserve for that half. Yeah. And in fact, in the final play before half time, Argentina looks set to kick it out and Borges just makes a break, mm. you know, out of nowhere and puts this lovely chip over the top. Hernandez dribbles it in goal and nearly scores himself. Yeah. I don't know who it is that gets back or it might have actually ended up going dead. But at that point, you're just like, Ireland's tails are firmly between their legs at this mm. point. Doing his full messy routine. Yes. The Argentine Indeed. 10 jersey. Indeed. Uh, so yeah, half time, Argentina 18 10 up. Ireland have fired what looks like could be their only shot. Yeah, but it, it feels like Ireland have got enough in them to get them back into the game. Yeah, because they've got Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah, and the thing is, the tactical shift they need, right, is not the tactical shift that will take them from 18-10 to winning for try bonus point. Yeah. They could shift and win this game from here, but I don't think they win it for bonus point. Agreed. Unless something truly miraculous happens. Yeah, or Argentina and, implode, you know. So the, the other thought I had, right, at half time. Ireland's best chance of winning and going through, getting that try bonus point, right, is to send Munster out instead of Ireland for the second yes. half. Because we've all seen Munster in that situation, and they achieve it every single Never time. Never write Munster off. No. They always find themselves in an impossible situation. And on the last day of the pool stage, they do whatever it is they need to do. You are right. I wrote Ireland off at halftime, but if they were called Munster, I don't think I would have. No. No. They'd find a way. The first thing in the second half that happens is... At one point, Paul Honest gives Argentina a penalty advantage, at which point goes Pichot, Pichot being a dickhead, uh, out on the touchline, probably five metres from the touchline, yeah. just goes, Hernandez, I've had enough of your shit. I know exactly what you want here. 
I'm going to go for the drop goal this time. The shittest drop goal attempt. <laughs> it's so After bad. a brilliant maul. Yeah, it's so bad. It basically skies it. Like, if there wasn't a penalty advantage, his pack would have killed him. Yeah. After, like, a is, 10 metres, they made off a maul. You know what's funny? I think this, this like, era of Gus Pichot is immune to bollocking. That's true. That's true. Do you know what I mean? I feel like the coach wouldn't say anything to him. That like, He's more likely to bollock the coach than the other way around. It's how he got so far up World Rugby's ladder. Honestly, yeah. I love Gus Pichot. Mm. Um, and again, like, just every time I've watched him play, it's just really affirmed my love for him even further. But off that penalty, Felipe kicks it and it goes 21-10 to Argentina. Mm. Well deserved. Yes. Because the other angle with that penalty going over, right? Suddenly all three of Ireland's extra tries need the conversions. If yes. they miss a conversion, then they can't get out of the group. Which so, then also puts in, do you end up kicking the goal from penalties? So you actually are within touching distance to then yeah. go for those tries, you know? It changes the whole psyche of the Irish and team. And again, every single point Argentina accrue from here knows not only they're taking the game further away from Ireland, they're getting into a position in which there is almost no way of them winning it. You know, yeah. They are a penalty away from them needing five tries instead of four, basically, yeah. in order to you know secure the game. And that looks so much more unlikely as the game goes on. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that the Ronan O'Gara having a terrible game because of Red yeah. Casting was the one spoiler I had. I actually misspeak. There were two spoilers that I'd had going into this game. So as I watched this, you know, I was very delighted to be watching a game involved rugby for a podcast again. You know, it's something that it's been a while since I last did. And it's like, oh, this feels really good, you know. Mm. And I put off a little photo of it on Twitter, you know, just to kind of like... Um, put the followers in a good state of mind that the podcast is coming back, you know, that we've not forgotten about it. It's just a nice little teaser for that, right? And I had a notification from a guy who we met in France mm. who goes on Twitter by the name of the 15 Meter Channel, mm. who was extremely funny, like really good lad, came up to us on a tram in Lyon, I think, yeah, yeah. with like seven or eight empty pint cups in his hand. It's the funny thing about... That trip to France is I remember exactly the moment. I remember exactly the guy. I've got no idea where we were. Yeah. <laughs> I've got yeah. no idea what tram we were on. I feel like it was Leon. But, yeah. Um, Irish guy was extremely funny. Yeah. Asked how long eating season's going. Um, <laughs> we had some really good chat with him. Uh, he kept coming back with other like funny memes he saw on his phone and just saying like, lads, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> but anyway, he replied to that tweet saying, Oh, yeah, I remember this game because Jordan Murphy scores the most rugby 08 try in the history <laughs> of the world. And the thing is, this then happened. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so spot on. So shout out to you. I can't remember your real name, but the 15 meter channel. You know what I've got written in my notes? Well, Jordan Murphy with the most rugby 08 try ever. Really? Yeah. And you haven't seen that. Tweet. I haven't seen that tweet. That's really funny. I don't look at your tweets. Come on. Yeah. It, what a... What a bizarre thing. It's Brian O'Driscoll again being magic. Yeah. And allowing Murphy to score. It was like the full fly off running for the corner flag. And you can even see that the sliders on the passes. Yeah, like, yeah. As uh, is it, it's Rog throws the first pass again, isn't it? You can see him like as he's winding it up. You can see the little meter going like, this is how far the pass will go, yeah. you know? And then he flings it and the ball just like anti-gravities through to Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah, and then Bold managed to get on the outside. Yeah. And it's just like he is, by such a distance, all this Irish team are. Yes. He's their entire attack. Yeah. And like he offloads to David Wallace, who rides the tackle well. Yeah. Who offloads to Jordan Murphy, who scores. Yeah. And it's a really and has nice... has an extra man of support as well. Yeah. It's a really aesthetically pleasing try. Yeah. It's like Ireland are back in it, 
but also are, are they? they? Yeah. Are they? <laughs> Ireland only look good when they give it to Brian O'Driscoll on first phase around the twenty-two meter line. <laughs> yes. And the the interesting thing is it is right. They look so good when they do that that it doesn't matter that they're shit on every other meter of the park because no other team in the Rugby World Cup has that. No, no, that's not an option for everyone else. Stuart Barnes calls it the best try of the tournament. Where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> do you remember that one from the France versus Georgia game where there was like ninety one thousand passes? Yeah. In it? Whereas Rog throwing a nice long ball and then Bod slipping out of a tackle. And a nice offload. Is that the best try of the whole fucking tournament? There's loads. Takutsu and Gwenya stayed yeah. Ryan Habana yesterday. There's a reason the Rugby World Cup account doesn't share this daily. Yeah. It wasn't the best try so far in that game. No. But, you know, there we go. Stuart Barnes, bless him. You said this before on the podcast. Like, everything's good about him other than his takes on rugby. Yeah. Everything else is great. The kickoff, though, I enjoyed more than the try. Oh, Not yeah? to be all hashtag Squid Shakes Island or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But like the kickoff, the kickoff, everyone misses the kickoff. And I see the most knock-ons I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. I think each team knocks it on about four times. It was it's very like, nice in 87, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like volleyball. Like They're just batting it to each other back and forth. And eventually it ends up on the Argentine side. And the ref goes, oh, play on again. I wasn't really I, paying attention. I love Paul Honest's just reluctance to both. So it's like, I feel sorry for you guys. Yeah. And, these people pay good money to be here. I don't, I don't know who knocked that on first. So good luck to you. Yeah. One, one of you just play it. Um, Ronan Nagara takes out a man in the air, which is awful foreboding. But also it's just like, oh, you're not doing a thing right, are you, Rog? There's a moment that Stuart Barnes describes on commentary as a dagger kick by Hernandez, which I love as like a term mm. where he just stabs a kick in behind from sort of the... Uh, 10 meter line into the Irish 22 and just suddenly it's just like yeah they're gonna have to go from 80 meters again again he's just constantly stabbing Ireland in the, all the places that hurt yeah uh, Gus Picho as well is like fantastic throughout this period yeah it's where he really comes into his own in this game I think agreed after half time he comes back out and he's like no I'm gonna put the foot in the throat there's a, a kick battle that he absolutely masterminds yeah, where yeah. he's in the backfield the whole time. It's organising absolutely everything and ends up hitting what would be a 50-22, nearly a 22-22. Yeah. There's a really telling moment in this as well where Jordan Murphy starts running it from his own try line and the Irish yeah. crowd like explodes cheering for him. Yeah. And ultimately, right, like it results in three points for Argentina. Yeah. It does not go well. And there's that one where he chips it from his own line as well. Yeah. Which really doesn't work. And, like, that whole approach when the crowd are losing their minds seeing them run it from their own goal line because they're far enough behind that they need these tries. Like, yeah, desperation. As the kids say, they are cooked. Yes. Yeah, so they get out to 24-15. Yeah. So Contopomi penalty. I have just written down here, okay, maybe Ruddy had a point. <laughs> because initially I was like, okay, I think Roger's going to actually play well because of the start. I think Ruddy, Ruddy's potentially, like, over-exaggerating. It's like, oh, no, no, he's had a fucking mess. And uh, Picho makes a break off a kickoff as well yeah. from that penalty. And again, just everything's going his way. Corletto beats oh. Murphy. You just have the vibe that Argentina need any points. Like, if they get three points out of anywhere, that could be the game set. Yeah. That could be them through, even if Argentina Ireland come back and win. Like, Ireland do not have enough points in them. Yeah. If the clock starts to tick away, being into the 60 minutes, like, they are playing the clock as much as anything else. And they're playing the pool table as much as they're playing Ireland. Yeah. It's all about managing that. And, like, Stuart Barnes starts saying that Ireland need to stop kicking it. And the thing is, 
I know what he's saying in context and everything, but Ireland only look any good in 22. Yeah. They look terrible everywhere else on the pitch. You need to think as much territory as possible. Buy Don't... as many tickets for the Brian O'Driscoll lottery as you can. Exactly, exactly. Stop trying... I understand. Stop trying box kicks. Stop trying high-hung yeah. kicks. Contestables are not working. No, contestables are not working. Drop Fernandes those. Is completely on board them. there. Yeah. yeah. But you need to be playing territory. Yeah. Territory has become like the absolute vital thing. So much of this game is played in the middle two-thirds. And it's risky, sure, because yeah. Argentina can just drop back 10 metres deeper. Yeah. But, which is essentially what they do. But Ireland aren't going to get anything else because there's yeah. probably, what, 10 minutes left at this point? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting into that late 60s minutes-wise. Yeah, like Hernandez just hits a brilliant kick to just Murphy on the five-meter line when he calls the mark. And it's like, yeah, he does, but he takes the gas out of the game, takes the time out of it. Murphy has no choice. Murphy isn't going to run it this time. The crowd aren't going to erupt from that. Yeah. You know, he just like keeps pinning them back and Ireland just feel very much left. Suffocated. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it like eventually leads to Argentina turning the ball over on the five-meter line and winning a penalty. Yeah. And Contepomi then starts fully laying into Rona Nagara, <laughs> which we love to see. At one point, but, I have just written down, Rog chips it fuck knows where. I don't remember what that's referring yeah. to. But, but the interesting thing about that penalty, like right, yeah. is Contopomi is screaming at Peter for them to go, to go for the corner. Is he? Yeah. And, and Peter goes, no, we're going for the post. And they knock it over and they score the points. Yeah. You know, and it takes them away. Patient. But like, yeah. It's an interesting thing because that is exactly the trap Ireland have been falling into all game. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Because Argentina aren't interested in a try bonus point. They're just yeah. interested in a demolition, well, which you can do via three pointers. Because the other hashtag narrative on this game is obviously Contepomi was at Leinster and played with uh, all of these players. Yeah, of course. And so I wonder if that was part of that mentality with him being with O'Driscoll, who was his captain. Yeah. Because he was relentless in this game, Contepomi. Yeah. He, he was absolutely brilliant. We've not really talked about him, but just like, the thing is, he's such a complete player because he's essentially a crash ball 10 you know he's mm. like got a full kicking and passing game but he works the crash ball centre as well yeah yeah there's one more score that Argentina get in this game which is kind of the icing on the cake I think and it's very similar to earlier moments in the game where Argentina have a bit of an attack they're trying to break the line or whatever and then as soon as the ball slows down mm. Hernandez once again just drops into the pocket so Previously, he had attempted one off his left foot and yeah. missed it narrowly. I thought he'd got it. I loved that. Seeing him hit it off his dr- wrong foot. Yeah. Like, Are you Johnny in disguise? Yeah. And then and right after Contepomi had done with the drop goal attempt as well. And yes. he drops into the pocket does a real one off his wrong foot. That's it. And then this time, on his second attempt off his left foot, he does get it and yeah. it goes over. And again, it's just like, it's a master stroke. Like, what can he do wrong? He's he's knocking over drop goals again really casually off his left foot. Popped over two off his right, one off his left. He he just needs to score a header and he's got the full house. <laughs> and it prompts an absolutely historic rendition of the song. Yes. The song that Argentine fans sing when they know they've won. Yes. Their long tradition of there's this one song, and I don't know the name of the song, but they sing it it's when they great, know the game though. is won. It's so good. And it's brilliant. And being there in the ground for it is always fantastic. Yeah. I haven't done it a few times at this World Cup, a few times at previous World Cup. Sadly, they did it against Wales as well. Yeah. I mean, that really was a kick in the teeth. Like, yeah. I really hated that one day. Yeah. Um, but it's brilliant. And this is an absolutely historic rendition of it because it kicks in like the mo. Actually, no, it's just before the drop goal. They start singing just for the drop goal and the drop, there's a cheer for the drop goal where they all take a break and then they continue it like with so much louder of more passion. It's brilliant. I think it's the best so ever good. rendition. So, so my good. other favourite is um, the Island Game 2015 when they start it super early and they start singing it around like 62 <laughs> no, yeah, minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's great. 
It's um, great. Yeah, Argentine but, fans on fire as always. Yeah, and like Ireland start to get more and more desperate. Um, Ronald Lagarde has a quick cross kick when the screen's off from a penalty to Sharon Hawkins' brother, who is almost there to score, but like Corletto takes it. And then they realise that Sharon Hawkins' brother was offside. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's like, it's very much like that, that was Ireland's desperation in a nutshell, that they lose out. Like, Corletto has it covered and they're safe and sound anyway. And yet, Sharon Hawkins' brother was offside. <laughs> so it was never happening anyway. And they get penalised and, you know, head downfield and everything else, leading to that first drop goal miss attempt. It's just like the whole game starts to fall apart for Ireland more and more each minute. And that drop goal going over, obviously there's not long left in the field. But even the missed drop goal attempt feels like the icing on the cake, even yeah. though they don't score the points off it. Yeah, yeah. Also, another moment that I have seen since mm. shared, which I was really impressed by, which I kind of didn't realise the context of the game for, but it was a really smart moment of David Wallace being a shit house mm. at the bottom of a ruck where he has been the tackler. He's released, he's completely legal, but he has a really clear line of sight to the ball and where Gus Pichot's hands are about to pick the ball up. Picho picks the ball up, about to throw the ball to pass to Hernandez in the pocket. At which point, Wallace doesn't slap the ball out of his hand, but he grabs one of the Argentine legs and moves it into Picho's hands. Hmm. So, it, so an Argentine player technically kicks the ball out of Picho's hands oh. and ends up going into touch. Huh. It's incredibly wow. smart and yeah. I guess legal. But it's one of those things that if a referee saw it, he'd penalise him and go like, you know what you're doing, you Sure, prick. yeah. But... He obviously gets away with it, and it's absolutely incredible. And I, I've seen that. Sh- I, I remember seeing Rugby Pass shared that like six months ago. And there's a lad I coach who is like that kind of seven, and I showed him that, and I was like, "That's really smart. Do that." Yeah. Um, and I looked at that and thought, "That's really clever. Like, fair play, David Wallace." But obviously, seeing it actually happen in this game with the context of the rest of it, I'm like, well, "It's not really much, is it?" Like they've got battered, and there's one minute left, and he's pulled this out now, and. Maybe he's done it out of spite. He's a monster flanker after all. But yeah, I really liked that. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I've got no more notes on the game itself. So over um, to you. Yeah. I mean, Paul O'Connell has an absolute rampage in the dying minutes. Yes, he does. Um, a proper like Godzilla rising out the sea in <laughs> fury at what they've done to nature moment. He's just been brilliant, O'Connell, yeah. throughout. But that's broadly it. Yeah. This win puts Argentina up to a record fourth in the world rankings. Wow. Which previously, I think their highest was seventh before this World Cup. So, huge, huge result for them. The ball goes out, Ireland go out, and Argentina continue on as pool winners. They don't just get out the group for the first time, they win the pool. Comprehensively yeah. as well. Japan 2019 is the only example of this kind of thing happening in rugby otherwise. Yeah. It's phenomenal. No, it's it's well-deserved. This Argentine team have been not only clinical, but like so fun to watch. Yeah. They're an absolute joy, and I'm so excited to see their quarterfinal yeah because that's a game I've never seen before Uh, I'm so excited to see how that goes yeah no that's really exciting and so it does lead to we say goodbye to Ireland (laughs) this is Dustin the Turkey this is Johnny Sexton's best friend Dustin the Turkey yeah so it's a weird one to reflect on this Irish team because they're thought of Where or where did it all go wrong? Oh, nice. Um, It's a weird Irish team to reflect on, I think, because they're seen as extreme, like, underachievers, Mm. which I guess they are, you know. But, like, if you look at this team, I can't calculate, like, where I would place them in a World Cup. 
Well, it's an interesting thing because Ireland hadn't had a team this good for a very long time. Yeah. And it was looked at as their best chance to have a good run in the World Cup yeah. at the time. The funny thing is, that's been said of every World Cup since as well. Sure, sure. But it's a fascinating Irish team because it's that kind of gold generation, right? Of They've got all-timers throughout the team. But you've also got players that have been broadly forgotten because they were good club players who were forced to step up. Yeah. Um, some of them have very good games. Some of them were the standouts of this competition. Yeah. But, yeah, fascinating, fascinating thing. Uh, it became Eddie O'Sullivan's legacy rather than the performances he built in the lead-up. Sure. He was... There's a fascinating whole thing about him after this game. He came out immediately afterwards and went... They asked him, like, are you going to stay in the Ireland job? And he said, yeah, of course I am. Oh. Oh. Uh, and he was like, yeah, of course I'm staying. You know, why would I, I go? Hinged. Like, I'm committed to this job. I'm committed to the whole thing. That was his whole... Classic Eddie Jones. Yeah, he said, I'm totally committed to this job. I have a contract. I intend to honour it. Um, I have an appetite for this job and I want to see it out. This is a tough moment and things are not going to according to plan, but there's no reason to walk away. Okay. As though it was going to be his choice. Yeah, yeah. Very presumptuous. Because, do you know what? They gave him a new four-year contract a month before the World Cup. Mate, why would you do that? Just say good luck. We'll yep. talk to you afterwards. Yeah, just ridiculous. But yeah, so I think stand-up players, Brian, have just got... I think that's like fairly safe. I've got three names. Okay that stand out for me for Ireland. One is Brian O'Driscoll. I think he's, by some distance, their best player in this yeah. World Cup. Uh, one of the best players in this whole World Cup, frankly. Yeah. And you say this wasn't even necessarily him at his peak yet. Yeah. Just what an incredible World Cup player. And he's just a player I love going back to watch because I almost sometimes forget how much I love watching him yeah, at points. Yeah. Whereas I look at this and go like, no, he... there was a point where I would have said he was my favourite player of all time. Mm. What an incredible player. The other two for me, one is Donnacro Callahan. Oh yeah, I think is just the most consistent player. Does the exact job of a second row. Everything you'd possibly ask of him. Really solid line out. Great rucker. And the other one's David Wallace. Yeah, you know, David Wallace, fantastic. Got yeah. ruled out of 2011. Uh, was actually one of our really good players in this game as well. But got ruled out of 2011. Really unfortunate that we didn't get to see him play there. Yeah. And it's just such a brilliant reminder of what an incredible player he was. Yeah. You know, just like, I look at him playing, just go, what a smart flanker. Yeah. He wasn't just somebody who could get over the ball and make big hits. He was really, really smart in like choosing which breakdowns to attack and mm. stuff. When I look at this Irish team, there's an awful lot of them that my big takeaway is I'm glad I got to see them play on the highest possible stage here. Yeah. Because they were phenomenal club players and very solid international players. And seeing them compete at the highest level is actually, from a kind of completely detached viewpoint, completely neutral viewpoint, I was really glad to get to see the likes of Jerry Flannery play because I thought he was a great player. Yeah. You know, obviously now off the Springboks to be defence coach. Yeah. Jordan Murphy, brilliant player. Dennis Leamy player throughout as well. Dennis Leamy. At his absolute peak here. Played out his skin in this tournament. Like yeah. I think was one of their standouts. Gervin Dempsey. Yeah. You know, big fan of him. Solid player. Sharon Hawkins' brother. Uh, Peter Stringer. Good to see him as always. Donald Callahan, you mentioned a lot. That like peak monster team that won yeah. the two Huntington Cups. You know, Gara, Stringer, O'Callaghan, O'Connell, Hayes, Flannery, Horan. Just like some really great players on that team throughout, yeah. regardless. It's a shame of how it ended. But, yeah. But no, as I say, I enjoyed watching them, even if it wasn't vintage performances <laughs> yeah. for the majority of these players. But hey-ho. Yeah. There was less of an inquiry into this, perhaps, than there was to Wales of the Fiji game. Yeah. Where I think people recognised everything was wrong. Wales covered Ireland's arse a little bit. Yeah. By being really bad, rather than just, like, not it's, as good as people maybe hoped it would be. Yeah. Interesting that, from a Wales perspective, that game was a major turning point and incredibly memorable day in the history of Welsh rugby, that mm. Fiji game. Like, that is still talked of now. Yeah. 
This game is not no. in Ireland. This is a forgotten memory of a World Cup that went wrong. Part yeah. of that is, I think, Wales have always put more focus on the World Cup than yeah. Ireland have. Ireland have just parked Cultural. This, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think they obviously get rid of O'Sullivan not long afterwards and bring in... Um, Declan, Kidney. Declan Kidney, thank you. Not long after he goes on to win that Grand Slam and have a solid career before losing to Italy and losing their job yeah. um, for Joe Schmidt to come in afterwards. But they kind of settle with that. They kind of go, okay, we've got an incredibly successful club coach who's won two Heineken Cups now. We'll bring him in. We'll deal with that. And that'll be it. Rather than Wales go, we're having a full-on existential crisis and they do a worldwide search and Gatlin gets the job and the rest yeah. is history. It's really interesting how it's set both countries up for their respective it's like a fascinating turning point i think mm. because irish rugby has broadly continued on that in that they then you know joe schmidt comes into leinster replacing michael checker he there was a brilliant system there wins the heineken cup gets brought in and they continue this path of just like very cohesive work that's brought them through to nowadays and andy sure. farrell like there's a very clean line yeah. well obviously Wales have now got still the same coach they bring in after this world cup but like it's been much more chaotic and much more back and forth yeah and i think in some ways, that shows the difference between two rugby nations and why they are where they are now, but also why Wales have had some real highs in that they have really, there's a lot of soul searching went on after this one loss. Yeah. Yeah. I, to be honest, in a sense, you're probably asking the wrong people, you know? Like, yeah. if this was two Irish people presenting this, they might look on it, look back on this a little bit more sourly uh, and have like memories of this being really like bad memory. We have, of course, Argentina qualify for the quarterfinal against Scotland. Yeah. Felipe Contepo missed after the game that we know people back home are following this World Cup like a football World Cup, which was a big deal at the time. That's high praise. Yeah. Very high praise. The Rugby World Cup's now a huge deal in Argentina, you know. Brilliant. But this was a big building point in that. Uh, And he said, a lot of people are talking about his favourites for the quarterfinal, but if we're favourites, we need to take on that responsibility and work really hard to play our best game next week. Yeah. And they knew something special could happen here, but they weren't taking it for granted. Yeah. So, should we do Man of the Dick and Day of the Man? Yeah, let's do those things. So, which one do you want to start with? Should we do Man of the Match? Because it's fairly straightforward. <laughs> uh, I have written down, I think, Aguja. Yeah, so, I, sure, sure. I have written down Pichot. Okay, yeah. I have written down Longo. Yeah. And I have written down Body's Good too. <laughs> but it's Juan Martin Hernandez. This is the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Longo has a good game. Contepomi has a good game. Pichot has a great game. Paul O'Connell is brilliant for Ireland. And O'Driscoll is great every time he gets a touch in space. Grand. For me, I think there's two contenders, right? One is Hernandez, and I am going to give it to Hernandez for all the reasons we've talked about, because he's the best mm-hmm. by the pitch by a long way. Who's the other one? The other contender, right, is Marcelo Lafreda, the coach. Okay. Because I think Argentina play an absolute tactical and emotional blinder. Yeah, They all come true. out so pumped up. It's very true. They all come out ready to play like the game of their lives. They channel they look... that emotional energy really well, don't Absolutely. They? And yet they don't go flying off. They're not like Ireland, who are all over the place a bit. They are fully focused on the game. point. They've got a brilliant game plan that they play perfectly to, and yet with a real emotional edge. I think this is like one of the best coached-looking teams I've seen. Probably the best coached-looking performance I've seen in this tournament. Yeah. And one of the best you'll ever see. And I think he deserves credit for that. But also, I think Juan Martín Hernández deserves credit for putting one of the best flowers. It's fucking blind. Yeah, so like, you know what? (laughs) Scores three drop goals. One of them is on his wrong foot. Yeah. And he sets up both tries (laughs) and does all of the game management shit and rules the skies in kicking battles and everything. He's ridiculously good. Yeah. As you say, at this point, he looks like the best 10 in the world. He's one of those players you look at and just think, I can't believe how good he is. Yeah. So yeah, it's Hernández. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Completely agreed. Dick of the day. 
Do you want to begin? Yeah. So there's a moment, right? You slightly alluded to it earlier, where Argentina are looking at potentially... They're in that range where they, so far in the game, have gone for drop goals, right? Yeah. And Hernandez is on the floor. He's just carried in. And so Contopomi steps into the pocket and goes, don't worry, lads, I'll take charge. They go back to the pocket for him and he kind of dummies the drop goal because he's under a little bit of pressure, takes the ball in and goes, it's fine, it's fine, we'll wait. At which point, Lucas Borges then just goes, hey guys! <laughs> and goes and stands in the pocket himself and just goes like, hey guys, I'm not a winger, I'm a fly half as well. I'm an obvious drop goal option. You can pass to me, pass to me, come on guys, you pass to me. I, I do drop goals as well. And it's just such a winger wanting to make it all about him and get involved thing. Bless wingers, they're a fucking weird breed, aren't they? <laughs> but uh, he comes in and like begs for the drop goal to come, at which point Hernandez is back, in, back on his feet, goes in and slots it. Boo. So Borges is on there, but it kind of is also Ronan O'Gara is the thing. Yeah. Like, it's hard not to give it to Ronan O'Gara for all the reasons we've mentioned. Like, I'm not sure one moment of a winger just comedically stepping in and going like, lol, let me drop a goal, even though I'm not a drop goal option, but I've slots them in training, you know. But that doesn't really accumulate to the same level of just everything bad that just just circulated around Ronan O'Gara, the rain cloud over his head. So it's Ronan O'Gara. That's fair enough. I'm not going to argue for Ronan O'Gara. But I am going to throw out Eddie O'Sullivan. Oh, yeah, good point. So um, I want to read you a quote from Eddie O'Sullivan in the days leading up to this. Okay. We won't go looking for those four tries early on. We've (laughs) got to win the game first, build a scoreboard. We're going to be taking those frees early. We're going to be taking the penalties and then looking to score the tries beyond that. You know what's weird? He's right. Yep. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. They very expressly have a kickable penalty three minutes in and go for the corner. You can tell the media that. Tell your fucking players. You exactly. Idiot. Do what you preach. Like, so he's gone out to the media and said, like, I've got this really good game plan, lads. He's gone to the players and gone, like, I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> do what you like. You can go and tell Neil Francis, if you get a penalty early on, take the three. It's like, yeah. I'm not playing you, dunce. <laughs> tell Ronan O'Gara. And O'Gara's like, oh, was that go for the corner? <laughs> yeah, right. Gee, just like, what are you doing? The sheer, like, that is like a nailed-on dick of the day for me. (laughs) What you're saying about Lafreda being a tactical mastermind, got all of the right tactics and emotion all channeled into the same speech before the game or uh, and week of training or whatever. What was Eddie O'Sullivan doing in that week? What was he up to? (laughs) Complete polar opposite performances from coaches. Yep. Yeah, that's (laughs) nailed-on, fair play. Just baffling, and then coming out afterwards and saying, I'm signing a new four year contract, I'm going to be here the entire time. And you're like, oh, mate, there's another content, dick of the day contender, whoever gave you that contract right before the that World is Cup. True. Just deeply, deeply silly. The other thing on you mentioning Ogara, right? Ogara came up post match, and do you know what? He, do you, I wonder if we, okay, this is the interview he gave post match, right? Okay. He said, obviously, we're disappointed, but it's been despicable, really. All this media, talk about disputes in your marriage and being told you've been kicked out of your own home when you're at the lowest of the low. My wife is a primary school teacher. I didn't expect this kind of rubbish. I rang home and braced her for it. I thought, Jesus, I can't believe this is in the papers. <laughs> so there'd been a rumour in the Irish papers during the World Cup about Ronan O'Gara's had an affair, which apparently wasn't true. He says wasn't true. Everyone's disputed since. But he came up post-match and didn't talk about the game, talked about the fact he was angry, oh the fact God. they'd been talking about him having an affair. Ronan O'Gara, and I mean this wholeheartedly, 
He's had a right mare, hasn't he? Yeah. But, like, was that on his mind? Is that why he was off? If he comes off immediately and he's talking about all of this. Oh, mate, that is actually awful, is the thing. But. Yeah. Oh, no, it is. It is. Like, you know, the fact that I've been there and that I've been. That's a whole state. Yeah. But, like, and again, you know, it's not other people's place to speculate on that. Sure. You know, especially if it isn't true, as is said. But, yeah. Um, Rattled. Rattled, and mind. that is clearly in his head the entire way. Yeah, yeah, man. Ruddy Darter, have some damn respect. Yeah. Before we go, before we go, last thing I want to bring up. So, again, when we were in France, we went to Bordeaux, right? Which mm. is a very weird city. We'll get into that yeah. another time. But we saw a sign out there. There was an advert for l'Opera de Rugby. Yes. That was on there. And we looked at the thought, that's cool. An opera about rugby. And sadly, it wasn't on whilst we were there. It was a couple of weeks after or before. Uh, so we didn't get the chance to go and watch it. However, we read the sign that was on there Which, that I have yeah. on my phone at the moment. That I took a photo of. And on there, it mentions, so it says, Omar Hassan, ancient rugbyman, international, Argentine, a baritone d'opera, a parandle of Vondemont. Right? Which basically means... Omar Hassan, the replacement prop for Argentina in yep. this Rugby World Cup, who was, of course... A baritone. A baritone, was in the rugby opera and had essentially directed it yeah. and pulled this whole thing forever and was baritoning the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. It was... And we looked at that we're like, oh my God, it's the guy from the podcast who did the bloody baritoning. How cool is that? It's that guy. He's going to be here doing rugby opera things. And it's just... It was just a really, really cool thing. To it's look incredible. At like he's because he's at the time of the World Cup. He's going around. He's doing his baritone in his opera, touring around France. What a guy! I love him. I love getting an update on him. So, going, all I want to say, well. Omar Hassan, we see you. We see you. We, we see love you. you. We appreciate we support you. you, and we give you rugby. We hope to see That's you in future rugby events his, around the world, um, Omar Hassan. And we will come to. Opera. We will come to the opera. I I would like to. I would like to go to one of. Omar Hassan's rugby operas. Indeed. That'd be glorious. It would be. What a note to end on. What a glorious note to end on. Our boy Omar Hassan playing us out <laughs> by talking about his rugby opera. Please join us next time when we move on to the quarterfinals next week. That's coming up. The first quarterfinal was the Argentina-Scotland one, so we may rejig the order so that we're not doing two Argentina games in a row. Especially having had a long break than just doing loads on Argentina. <laughs> so... There'll be a quarterfinal next week. We're going to get back into the swing of doing this again. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you for everyone's patience. And we've seen all the comments on YouTube that have said, like, when is the podcast back? That's, yeah. a, that's way better than this shit. And you're wrong. Yeah. But uh, no, thank you for everyone's patience. I don't know why you wanted more of this, but I'm very, very genuinely, uh, from the bottom of my heart, grateful that you do. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Keep an eye out for that next week. Keep an eye out for more similar stuff with the, the stuff on the channel as well. There's all sorts going on. Please, we will see you very soon for more rugby. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, 
pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 